I'm Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. With me today is my colleague, colleague Ryan Morrow, an expert on terror funding and the movements of terror cells across the Middle East and around the world. And it's good he's with us today because last week, as the world watched in horror as violent terrorists aligned with Hamas, led an incursion into Israel from Gaza and committed mass murder of unsuspecting Israeli civilians living near the border. Some of the discussion centered on terrorism funding in the aftermath. Everything from the Biden administration's $6 billion transfer to Iran to the money behind pro-Palestinian campus protests are in question. Joining Ryan and me today to discuss a series of articles on terror funding he wrote for the Washington Examiner before the Hamas massacre, articles that actually got the ear of Congress and led to some significant changes, is investigative reporter Gabe Kaminsky. Hi, Gabe. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Sarah. No problem. Hey, Ryan. Hey. Okay, so let's get into this. Um, Gabe, we'll start with you. Um, Just kind of introduce yourself uh, to our listeners, um, tell them who you are, and then um, tell them, tell us and them about the articles that you've been writing about terror funding. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, My name is Gabe Kaminsky. I work for the Washington Examiner, uh, primarily covering money and politics and kind of... um, uh, no pun intended, the influence of politics as I'm on the Influence Watch podcast, but in tracking influence. Um, but um, and often that's covering nonprofits. And so we since uh, the examiner since um, uh, since November, last November, have been uh, writing and it kind of ramped up as more developments happen about a charity called Alliance for Global Justice uh, in Arizona, a 501c3 charity that has sponsored a coalition called the Sammy Dune Palestinian uh, Solidarity Network um, uh, that has shared employees with the Popular Front for Liberation Palestine and has various uh, Palestinian terror ties that Ryan, I'm sure, will kind of unpack. Um, And following our stories, we saw uh, three payment processors, including PayPal, um, cut ties with the Alliance for Global Justice. Um, But I guess particularly these stories have gained some relevancy as we've seen you know, Hamas attacked the Jewish state of Israel. And there's been a lot more looking at uh, charities in America and just kind of the federal government funding of, um, uh, you know, terror linked NGOs. So, Right. And so let's talk for a minute about, uh, and I'm so happy you're doing this work. You know, we do it in house and it's, it's so awesome to see it get sort of, you know, magnified um, in, in a place like Washington Examiner. So it's, it's awesome that you're doing this work. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Alliance for Global Justice. One of the things that that jumped out at me, you know, we, we have a, a very long profile on the Alliance for, for Global Justice in our Influence Watch um, database, which uh, if you're unfamiliar with that, anyone listening, that's influencewatch.org. We connect all of these influencers. But one of the things that jumped out at me, and I know Gabe actually uses it in his reporting, which is great. Um, one of the things that jumped out of me out at me is that some of the discussion that I read and, and heard in the aftermath of what happened in, uh, in Israel last week was these um, these the, the protests that happened on campuses, for example, where students were coming out and saying we're pro-Palestinian. 
um, people were, were kind of disconnecting those protests from some of the other protests that we've been watching, you know, for years now, the, the woke protests, kicking people off of campus, um, things like that. But when you look at the Alliance for Global Justice, their, some of their early support was for things like the Sandinistas and the Maduro government. It's overt socialism. So I'm not sure that you can disconnect these two kinds of movements. Do you have any thoughts on that, Gabe? Yeah, the Alliance for Global Justice overtly refers to itself as an anti-capitalist and um, progressive organization. Um, and they were an offshoot of a pro, you know, Nicaraguan Sandinista group. Um, but I think it's, you mentioned student protests, and I would really point to Sammy Dune, um, uh, the, the organization that it sponsors. They hosted a protest in New York City uh, last week, an anti-Israel protest that we had done a story on and just sort of had quoted some members of Congress just raising concerns over it. But also notable uh, in the fallout of the conflict in Israel-Gaza, Collective Palestine Bankra, a group that um, Sammy Dune, uh, Alliance for Global Justice, has fundraised for, mm-hmm. uh, a French organization. Collective Palestine Bankra is also in Sammy Dune's uh, coalition network. Um, they actually, we spotted a couple of rallies, anti-Israel rallies, and people were actually holding collective Palestine Vankara protests. So it's kind of been interesting to see the link between Sammy Dune and Alliance for Global Justice and um, uh, what's been happening with like, you know, sort of seemingly Hamas sympathizing protests across the U.S. So um, and, and it's been wild to see because Alliance for Global Justice, it certainly is demonstrating the influential nature of this group. It sponsors close to 140 other organizations um, through fiscal sponsorship, meaning it provides them like legal, payroll, HR services. Um, and because they cannot fundraise right now electronically, it is, it is very difficult for those groups to gain, uh, get money through credit cards and whatnot. However, on their websites, they are instructing people to send checks. So I guess we'll see on their next 990 uh, how much people are mailing checks to Tucson, Arizona. That'll be interesting to see. But. Right. And and I just, before we, we bring Ryan in here, I just want to, you know, point out that if you go to our, um, our Influence Watch page on the Alliance for Global Justice, uh, you'll see that they have been funded by some pretty big names in the foundation world, right? So even if people don't send them small checks, they're still getting money. <laughs> And then apparently, yeah, that's right. They have in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and also uh, the other thing I'd know, major corporations have given a lot of money to Alliance for Global Justice. Um, the likes of Pepsi, Lyft, CBS Interactive, which is now Paramount, uh, Pepsi, IEC Holdings, which is the parent company for Daily Beast and People Magazine. Um, so this is really no small fry. You saw Tides Foundation has given them significant amounts of money for their projects, and what these groups will say as well. The money was allocated for Alliance for Global Justice's projects, its unrelated projects. Uh, but if Alliance for Global Justice has ter- Palestinian terror ties, and among any of its projects, all of those projects are legally the same entities as Alliance for Global Justice. They don't have their own tax identification numbers. So that's kind of what members of Congress said, um, what, what their concern was. It's that they, you know, they sponsor various groups and some of those, um, um, you know, have some sort of concerning ties. Right. And, you know, money is fungible. I mean, that came out when, you know, 
the Biden administration sent the six billion to Iran. We know Iran, uh, you know, helps fund Hamas. Um, this is not to suggest that the Biden administration intended for that money to be used in that way. I, I, I feel certain they did not. Um, but they got they got stuck with this now this this question about it because money is fungible, right? So it's the same thing in this in this sort of nonprofit world. So Ryan, I'm going to ask you to jump in here. Um, one of the last pieces you wrote for us, and Ryan's kind of new, so welcome to Ryan, all of you listeners who might be listening. <laughs> uh, Ryan's background is in sort of the movements, as I mentioned at the top, of you know terror cells, uh, how they're connected, the money behind them, et cetera, et cetera. He's been doing it a long time. So one of the recent pieces he wrote for us was on a uh, something called the Mapping Project. And I noticed that Samidun, which Gabe was just referencing, shows up in that story. Um, and so does the, what is it, the Popular Liberation Front? I always miss. Yeah, the Popular Front for, for the Liberation, Liberation of, of Palestine. Palestine. Thank yeah. you. Um, that shows up in the map, Mapping Project as well. So, um, Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about that and what some of this, what, what this, what, Sammy Doon showing up there, what that means for for stories like what Gabe is writing about, that's very timely. Sure. Well, the mapping project basically uh, is a project where, and it's very mysterious because we don't actually know the authors or where the funding came from for this project, but it's massive, where they have a map of Massachusetts and then they have a list of all the sites that they identify as being Zionist. Uh, pro-Israel um, or related to the U.S. government or U.S. corporations on the basis of their ties to Israel. So it, it's essentially a target list is what it is. And that's not me reading too much into it. It's not like just a list of um, political opponents. It's actually a hit list um, because they put out a tweet where they called on dismantling the Boston Police Department, which is one of the sites on this map. And the attached image was of a police vehicle being firebombed. So when they talk about dismantling this apparatus and targeting these sites, um, it, it's clear what they're talking about it is violence. And you can see why the authors of it would not want their names attached to it. And so basically what my article did for the Capital Research Center was look into, uh, and largely based on the Zakor uh, legal project, or legal institute, um, th their research was try to figure out well where is this all coming from, and based on how it debuted, which was first through a tweet from the BDS chapter in Boston, um, and uh, an activist involved with that, their next interactions were tweets and retweets with Samadoon, um, which has been identified as we discussed, essentially a front for the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. Um, paid for, so, paid for, fiscally sponsored by the Alliance for Global Justice, just to keep that clear in front of everybody's mind. Go right. Ahead. So the problem with these, with discussing these type of things, is that there's so many front organizations and interconnected entities that it almost sounds it, it'll be confusing, but it also sound as if you're doing a guilt by association type thing. But no, when you actually look at the operations, when we say they're in sync, the Alliance for Global Justice is essentially responsible for the finances, you could say, of Sam Adun because that's what it means to be a fiscal sponsor. So um, this all kind of comes together. Iranian-backed outlets, Hezbollah-backed outlets were promoting this mapping project. 
Um, and so for me, that really does point to foreign sponsorship because the amount of research and, and data that had to go into developing this map um, where they have like 1,200 sites internally on it, um, that, that speaks to a major effort that goes beyond a single activist with the Boston chapter of the BDS movement or the BDS movement overall. Um, it indicates that there's some major organization involved and most likely being a foreign one um, and most likely being either Samadun itself or someone very close in that social circle. Okay. And then when we're, since we're talking about how it's being funded, you know, part of what Gabe, Gabe's pieces are about, most of what several of them are, have been about is the payment processors, right? So this is the other side of the payment. You're talking about the big funding from maybe big, huge foreign sources, but Gabe wrote a series of articles where, and, and I would like Gabe for you to talk about how Congress got involved in some of the changes that were made because of this, where PayPal, for example, um, a payment processor called Stripe, um, they were actually processing payments for, I'm assuming, small donors, you know, not large donors. So we've got two sides of this. We've got this big foundation funding and then these payment processors and small donations. So Gabe, um, talk a little bit about, about that. Yeah, I think what Ryan was, uh, you know, accurately describing there, in a in a um, was essentially how Alliance for Real Justice is very clearly a critical juncture in the anti-Israel movement in the U.S. And we see that particularly because um, this. So essentially, in February, after we had done stories on some of their terror ties, that charity. We saw that Salsa Labs, a major payment processor, stopped working with Alliance for Global Justice. And that's incredibly notable because that meant that the 140 organizations it sponsors could not raise money online. But a really notable thing we learned from that is that it appeared that Alliance for Global Justice actually fiscally sponsored the BDS national movement. And the reason we kind of were tipped off to this is because after Alliance for Global Justice was stripped of that online fundraising via Salsa Labs. If you went to the BDS National Committee's website and you tried to donate, it would say essentially the same, um, what it said on the Alliance's website, which is that we cannot raise money because of our fiscal sponsor is, you know, has been removed from X payment processor, um, which is pretty nuts. I mean, the BDS um, movement, which is essentially kind of a coalition, is ubiquitous in America. It is it is on all college campuses. Um, it's a rallying cry for the anti-Israel movement. That was the first step we saw. Now, um, months later, we saw that uh, another payment processor, the Irish American software company Stripe, uh, which processed uh, you know billions of dollars in transactions last year, they were listed as raising as being kind of a pass-through maneuver for Alliance for Global Justice. And so we contacted Stripe. Uh, we did a story in which, you know, several members of Congress essentially called on Stripe to stop working with Alliance for Global Justice. Um, shortly after, Stripe essentially sent us a statement uh, uh, with the revelation that they were cutting ties with Alliance for Global Justice. Um, but then we saw PayPal start fundraising uh, for Alliance for Global Justice. Now, I don't know uh, how much, you know, how much was raised through that. That's something um, we, you know reached out to PayPal, kind of explained to them some of our prior reporting. Um, uh, the House Foreign Affairs Committee actually had a briefing uh, with PayPal in which they kind of raised concerns to them that they were uh, working with Alliance for Global Justice. 
Uh, Marco Rubio contacted the Treasury Department about that arrangement, and Ted Cruz um, had similarly raised concerns about the issue. Um, what we learned was that uh, a little more than a month ago, the uh, House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall had a phone call with PayPal in which they basically just told him that after they had that briefing that they were no longer working with Alliance for Global Justice. PayPal was nonspecific as far as um, really their rationale, but it followed you know several stories on those terror ties and concerns from those lawmakers. So as of now, you know they are stripped of that online fundraising mechanism, but I think it's important for people to keep uh, looking on, on their website and otherwise because um, you know it's very possible that others could start you know they could find some sort of other mechanism. But um, certainly those three payment processors are pretty big, and it'll be interesting to see um, on the charity's next tax forms you know what it kind of discloses in revenue after that pretty big um, you know after the fallout seemingly of donations. So. So, Ryan, how does this affect, let's say, you know, you're, you're tracking sort of the funding to some of these um, to some of these uh, groups that are working with, you know, something like the mapping project. How does something like what just happened with Gabe's reporting where PayPal is, you know, roundly sort of chastised and Congress is like, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. So they drop they drop that, you know, the ability mm-hmm. for people to donate. How does that affect projects like the mapping project? Is that actually a big deal? Or as Gabe mentioned, is that going to be something where they're just going to be looking for other avenues? I mean, how, I guess the question, the, over, the general question I'm asking is, how, can we fight it? I think people are worried we can't. Well, you can just by the ways that you described where payment processors are cut off, then at least within the, the United States and through those mechanisms they they can't fundraise uh that doesn't take care of the problem of foreign funding necessarily coming into these organizations that don't have a registered nonprofit of their own but instead have a fiscal sponsor um to me it seems like if they're if they are engaged in money laundering and money transfers uh to and from the popular front for the liberation of palestine it seems like this would be the way you do it um you wouldn't ideally you wouldn't have your own officially registered ngo Instead, you'd have a fiscal sponsor. And then um, I actually do have a question for Gabe, which is when there's a fiscal sponsor like the Alliance for Global Justice and they fundraise for Samadun, is there any way for the public or investigative reporters to find out how much money Samadun raised through the Alliance for Global Justice? Yeah, and that's a that's the concern, I think, that... Um due to fiscal sponsorship, there's such a lack of transparency. So I'm I'm not aware of how much money has flowed from Alliance for Global Justice to Sammy Dune. I will say that sometimes on tax forms, mm-hmm. um, when you look at Schedule Bs, you can see when, for example, uh, organizations that have donated to Alliance for Global Justice, they'll often say, you know, uh, they'll list the grant and then they'll say, this is for uh, let's say Philly Thrive, like one of their projects for this project earmarked. I haven't been able to find donations specifically for Sammy Dune, which is very odd. Um, I don't know if you have, but it's it, it definitely is an arrangement that seems very opaque. Yeah, and so I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. Say, I, I wonder how much this is a pattern across the entire NGO world and terror sponsoring world. Uh, because you do have registered nonprofits that have ties to Islamist extremists and have had ties to terrorists. And, and we know about that, um, but it's much harder to know about these 
unregistered organizations that have fiscal sponsors um, yeah. and the, how the money is flowing, wh- whether the fiscal sponsor is giving them $5 or $5,000 or 20000 you don't, you have no way to know. Uh, just yeah. like you have no way to know once it goes to a group like Samadun, where it goes from there. And you also have no way yeah. to know how money goes to Samadun from foreign sources. So it, it's like a giant black hole of information um, and while we can't make the accusation necessarily that Samadun is funding the Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine, if you share staff and money's going to that organization, I, I think a very strong argument can be made that, I mean, that's definitely a financial connection right there, mm-hmm. which totally. should be illegal, you know, which I mean, it is illegal. It's just not enforced. Yeah, I mean, as yeah, no, I think you're perfectly right. Like, um, we don't, sure, we can't connect the, ma- you know, the, the magical line that says that Alliance for Global Justice, uh, you know, funneled $100 million, to, not, not that much, but Sammy Dune's resources. But what we can say is that Alliance for Global Justice and Sammy Dune are legally the same entities. And that's a huge deal. Um, and I think fiscal sponsorships becoming seemingly kind of a problem in the country because the whole point of it is really for a group to get off the ground for like a couple of years. And what you see is that a lot of organizations just have perpetually for year after year, these groups under them. And it kind of, um, it leads to a major lack of like transparency as far as things like funding and, you know, staff members, uh, who's running these organizations. Yeah. And you're, and you know, it, it also puts us, uh, in a precarious position at an organization like Capital Research Center, because, we um, we are open about the fact that we like donor privacy, right? Um, but this takes that donor privacy, uh, you know, kind of um, the good thing and it's something that, you know, bad people do all the time, right? They take something that's uh, created for, for a good reason and then they expand it and extrapolate it out and it becomes a problem. What you're saying here with, you know... Um, fiscal sponsorships, you can't really tell who's funding, you can't really tell where the money's going, you can't, right? So um, this is, there are no sort of black and white easy answers to any of this stuff. So then my final question to you both is, what do we do for reform to, to try to reform some of this stuff? Keeping in mind again that, you know, we like the idea of donor privacy, we don't want people to be targeted for their political opinions and things like that. Um, how can the IRS get involved? How can the government get involved if we want them to? How how smart, what should donors be doing to be smarter about how they're giving? Well, look, I think that, you know, I, there's plenty of charity experts who probably have thoughts about as far as, um, you know, federal reforms. I won't really weigh in on that front, but what I just would say is I think it's important in arrangements like Sammy Dune and Alliance for Global Justice, that people are certainly cognizant of those relationships, which can, you know, be unclear on its face. And that as far as people writing about um, uh, organizations that they're very, they don't, you know, conceal or uh, obfuscate or, you know, unwittingly not uh, provide the full context. Like if someone, if someone writes an article about Sammy Dune, it should always be noted that this group has the same tax identification number as a registered charity in Arizona. Mm -hmm. They are the same groups. It's not fair for readers to not give them that level of transparency. And then hopefully that, uh, you know, gives lawmakers and payment processors, like we've seen um, the knowledge to be able to evaluate, you know, if this is the kind of 
groups they intended want to be able to do business in America. So I think that's kind of my thought. Transparency is super important. Right. Brian, what do you think? For me, it comes down to law enforcement. I mean, I'm not sure what legal reforms, uh, partially because I'm not a lawyer, with a nonprofit lawyer. So I can't really speak to what legal reforms um, are necessary. But I can say from a law enforcement perspective, just having studied counterterrorism, uh, that the connection between Samadun and the Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine is almost a slap in the face to federal law enforcement because it's not really hidden. Um, the, the, and the information is out there. Uh, they could hide themselves through a front of a front of a front of a front, but that's not what we're seeing happen here. We're seeing Samadun as being a very thinly veiled front for the popular front for liberation of Palestine. And we know money is going from the Alliance for Global Justice uh, to Samadun because of this arrangement that we've been discussing. To me, that seems like a very strong case not just for investigation, of course it's strong enough for that, but it seems like you have a strong enough case for actual prosecution at this point. Um, and, and it's a good question to ask, well, why is that not happening? Um, it, it's not like the smoking gun is missing. The smoking gun is, is there and now published and available to everyone with the internet. Okay, so what you're saying is the reform needs to be actual enforcement. That, yes, that would be the succinct <laughs> way of saying it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for giving me your thoughts. I mean, this is a, an incredibly important kind of inside baseball topic that I think more and more people are coming around to uh, about how these sort of sectors are being manipulated uh, to our detriment. So the charitable sector being one, and of course, that's what we all focus on, and Gabe does a lot of work on it. So I appreciate you both being here. Um uh, as always, you can get you can find this podcast anywhere you find your podcasts. Uh, as my uh, regular co-host Mike Watson would say, please give us a five star rating. He will probably be be back next week. He's been on vacation and doing some other things. Um, so thank you for tuning in, gentlemen. Thank you for being here, and we'll check you again next week.